We started the day with a patient's voice. Um, and actually, maybe the beginning and end of the conversation we were all just having is that without a shadow of a doubt, everyone in this room will be a patient. Um, and perhaps that ought to inform our behaviour. Our next, um, I'm not going to call her a speaker, our next performer, um, Bobby Baker, has been a patient on many fronts. And as well as that, uh, is an artist and performer and is now going to, I think, entertain and unsettle you. Um, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, Bobby Baker. White coat. Yeah, I'm the only person in the room with a white coat. I wear a white coat whenever I'm doing a performance, but uh, in this context, it's really, it's just perfect. I've got one you haven't. I know, we're not allowed to wear them anymore. Um, Aren't you? No, we're not allowed to wear them because of infection, but it reminds me, when I was a medical student, we had short white coats at UCL, and all the kind of proper medical students from Bart's had long white coats. And they, um, what did they I remember one of them saying to me, he said, yeah, we always look at you guys and think you should be selling ice cream. <laughs> and that, yeah, well, that summed up Bart's, really. Um, what is the patient's voice? Oh, well, I'm really interested. It's been an amazing day. Um, and uh, I'm interested to hear many voices, obviously. I am, I don't use it officially. I would say I'd call myself an expert by experience. Although I notice sometimes the Durham piece that's written that's got great poetry, they use inverted commas for expert by experience. Why, do, why does one do that? We do in my company. I'm actually the artistic director of an arts council funding, funded company. And so we write, we write a lot about what we do in a very considered way. And so whether I describe myself as an expert by experience of, of what part of the health service, I am of many. Um, so I have really got my money's worth out of the NHS. <laughs> I've always been rather risk prone. So I started having, sort of going to A&E for accident repair quite early. And um, I got an arrow in my eye when I was nine <laughs> and had to be rushed to hospital to save my sight. So I'm kind of... You have to tell us how that happened. You can't... I was, we were having a fight with the boy next door. And we've been told not to have bows and arrows anymore. Uh, and he made one, Robert Woolley, out of wood, uh, having been banned. And so we were throwing uh, mud things with sharp stones in. Um, but we no, we weren't because we... Yeah, we were, actually. So <laughs> he shot an arrow in my eye at point-blank range. Um, and my dad, who was there, my mum was out... My dad got really uh, a bit annoyed and tied a white hanky around my eye. Robert Woolley shot an arrow in Bobby's eye. And, um, and then, anyway, luckily, I was rushed to hospital in London town because we lived in the suburbs the next morning and uh, it was stitched up and my sight was saved. So it was quite dramatic. But anyway, it went on. I think uh, uh, for various reasons I won't go into now, I slightly... Uh, I, I'd, I've always had rather high expectation of what I could cope with in life, and I, I kind of cracked up. There's an exhibition upstairs which tells a brief version of the story. I became part of the mental health system. You don't call it the psychiatric system, you call it the mental health system. Well, when was that? What year was that? Um, I don't know, it's sort of 97, I would say. Mm. Um, I'd been crying a lot the year before. Mm. 
Um, and so I went through that. I emerged quite a while ago, and I think I'm probably the most mentally healthy person I've ever met. <laughs> Which you have to be if you... I, I mean, you know, I, I'm, I'm good. But I suffered from what... And I would say suffer um, from diagnostic overshadowing. And so the fact... Because if you're... I was on psychiatric medication, which I'm not against, but in this case, I think it was misprescribed and I stayed on it for a long time and I put on five stone. I've got hereditary um, osteoarthritis, really bad osteoarthritis. I'd already been told in about 2000 I'd need knee replacement. I kind of like went really big. But then if you're a big blob in that context of having a psychiatric diagnosis, even the best of professionals mm. see you as obese. Mm. And there is a beast, a, did you say? A beast. Yeah, no, a morbidly beast. a beast. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> no, well, a beast is a beast. I'll, I'll, I'll never hear the end of them say it that, will I? He said a beast. But they do, don't they? <laughs> well, they kind of mean that, really. <laughs> yes. But the thing is that um, I was clearly... I, we, essentially, what was wrong with our lives, we, we're both my ex-husband and I, he's a photographer, photographer we weren't earning enough money and uh, so we both worked too hard and it affected my health my s mental health but um, also I carried on touring because I carried on working all the way through being part of the Gosh. mental health uh, I was touring extensively and nobody really knew because I'm quite a performer even though I didn't not I didn't hide it people hadn't ever realized how ill I was so I, during that 11 years I had 43 admissions which my friends from mental health system just fall about laughing and say, how did you do that? How did you get in and out? Because <laughs> it's quite, it's quite time-consuming. And uh, <laughs> just getting assessed. And there's a couple of really good uh, residential crisis houses near where I live, which were good. So I'd go in for a bit of respite. Well, it wasn't respite, but fall apart and then go back to my life. And carry on sometimes going home every day to cook for the kids and whatever. Um, I was sort of, um, yeah, took on a bit too much in life, and, um, but carried on performing, and my only way of earning money was international touring, really. So, but I got iller and iller. I was overweight, and I kept on saying to my very good GP, uh, you know, I, I felt ill, I felt ill, I felt ill. And he said, well, you've got a lot on. <gasps> it's just kind of like a mantra, you know, you've got a lot on. And um, I would say, well, I feel ill. My eyes swole up. I felt iller and iller. And it was finally picked up through somebody else making me make a fuss that I had uh, breast cancer. The, the, it's called diagnostic overshadowing. I'm sure there's people... Is who... that what you mean by it? So the one thing was preventing... Yeah, this... I think there's quite a lot of research coming out and now about the issue that if you've got various diagnoses which carry, a, a, say, a stigma or an expectation of what you are... So um, they, you know, and people were really rather apologetic. But what was interesting, because I had, you know, I had a mastectomy and I had chemotherapy and had radiotherapy, during which I worked. And, I, you know, you're quite glamorous if you're an artist. They go, oh, you are amazing. You've had another idea. And I think, I'm only having another idea for a show because it's the only way I can get the next bit of funding. Um, but even though I met the best people as part of the system and the best mental health professionals, not all of them, but certainly enough good ones, uh, they would see me during chemotherapy with no hair, so you can't exactly miss the fact somebody's having treatment and say, you look really tired, you've got a lot on. Are you? 
they say, well, and, you know, I cry when I feel ill. And they'd say, oh, very, you know, how are you feeling? I'm like, well, I feel pretty shit because of the chemotherapy. But it was, it's fascinating, those stories of diagnosis. Anyway, fortunately, I, uh, I did, I have, you know, recovered. I had fantastic treatment at UCH. I have a great, uh, I mean, gratitude to the various people who saved my life, but oncology rates very high. Of course. And um, <laughs> plastic surgeons who I was, I've had a long, I've had 10 operations now in the last 10 years. Uh, a lot of it repairing, but then I finally got my first, bless you, my first... First knee replacement. I can't remember which the first one in 2009. Because um, I got very, very lame. And I tell you, the worst of it all was how much pain. Because it was like bone on bone. And my legs were never the same length for 10 years. Because they were so, you know, they just, you, you hob. And now I've got two knee replacements. And I, I am so grateful for everything. So that's a lot of things to happen medically yeah. to someone. Um, and I'm grateful, but I also feel that the voice of people like me and the voice of all the... Oh, there was a wonderful discussion earlier about uh, interdisciplinary and multidisciplinarity, and I feel the voices and the collaborative nature of the all the health professionals is the one that needs to be said again and again. And only yesterday you were both... You got both an art exhibition and this... Two events, a medical event and an arts event, happening at the same time. Oh, well, um, I did a commission for... I don't know if anybody else has heard of Art Party Scarborough. If you're a Twitter follower, um, it's Art Party 13. And uh, it's an amazing artist called Bob and Roberta Smith. Um, Organised earlier this year a campaign about the arts education being a, a um, essential part of the curric curriculum until the age of... 16. You know, there's been quite a lot of debate about it being mm. not. Cut, yeah. And it has already had an impact. So there's a great campaign going on. Which has in, and, and so the, he's, his idea was to have a party conference in Scarborough. So it's this weekend. Okay. And I got invited to do a commission. So this morning, um, one of my colleagues and I delivered 100 packed breakfasts to a group of artists who are going in a coach up to Scarborough. But it's the most incredible, it's a sort of whole debate about what art has to offer for our society. And um, So what does it have to offer us as health professionals? I, you have to say, I'm not the expert of that. <laughs> I think it, I think, uh, you know, there's some great things that have come out already. It's the opportunity to reflect people. I get asked to give talks quite a lot to psychiatrists, which I'm, and other people, but I'm really... It's about hearing stories and talking, but also making work. Um, I can't... I think so many people are saying it in so many interesting and better ways than I can. Um, I think it has uh, the same value as our spiritual lives would have if we were people were more engaged with spiritual reflection, you know, that it... The um, big galleries, it's interesting how much money, they, they're like cathedrals, aren't they? Or wadges of money put in them, and people go there so much, you know, uh, because it's an opportunity to reflect on things. But I'm really, I like culture, I like television, I like crime drama, um, I like anything that is 
which I just kind of like gobbling it up. And I don't know about all of you, but we all absorb it. And I think we live in an age of, you know, digital age and media age where we need images. We're so sophisticated without knowing about it on what we see and do. So... And I'm going to go completely, before you start your performance, I'm going to go completely out on a limb, but I've had a glass of wine. Is, and this is something that Joe Shapcott and I have talked about, and it's going to come up, I think, hopefully next year in Medicine Unboxed Frontiers next November. Is men and women, and it kind of gets um, distilled in the nurse-doctor conversation, are, are we the same in our receptiveness to this? What is, what is, what is the the role of the female artist? Is there a particular role or is that... Well, a... I mean, I, I will say, was it Raymond Tallis yeah. was talking earlier about evolution, which I just adored that, that <laughs> panel, you know, that thing. But he did say in that slide, uh, you know, about um, desire to keep your genes going, that, that women mm. could be artists too. And you thought, well, actually, women, I think if you looked at evolutionary psychology that I've read quite a lot, you'd say that women choose the, the genes, you know, that actually it's women's voices um, are really rather, I hope without being boring. I could clear, no, no, no. I could clear the room as a feminist. The doors are locked. <laughs> I, wo I won't, I won't. I put it in my work. I put all my ideas... That's why I'm an artist, because I'm rather an idealist and I'm quite a passionate person and uh, I can be really boring. So women's voices? Well, just like everybody's diversity. I mean, diversity, diversity. You know, I count as a disabled person. I had a big commission as part of the Cultural Olympiad yeah. as a disabled... What's it? Disabled artist-led. And it was wonderful. I've met the best people. But I think it's hearing, you know, we are not representative in our culture of uh, enough we are in in many ways mm. and that actually that's how we experience each other so yeah I think there are women artists we still are well you know things are improving they're better than when I was young why I'm called Bobby is because my brother's two years older than me and uh, I thought oh well I better be a boy then <laughs> because um, um, my real name is Lindsay but I just sort of wanted to be a boy because I just thought I'd get a better deal. <laughs> <laughs> On that cue, I'm going to leave you the stage. Is that all right? Yeah, that's fine. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, Bobby Baker. Thank you.